G'day. Uh, today we're talking about excellence. So a long, long time ago, I uh, was uh, training on Manly Beach with a backpack on my back to go to Tasmania to walk the South Coast track. Uh, a beautiful walk. Oh, my God. Which I did. But in the process of training on Manly Beach, going up and down there, I bumped into a lady by the name of Sol Wilby, who at that time was unknown to me and her husband Chris, but they were unknown to me. But Sol had written a book called A Lone Woman's Trek Across Tibet. Uh, it was one of the most frightening books I ever read uh, about going to Tibet in occupation time when the Chinese were had invaded and being sort of not allowed to be there, but allowed to be there in another way and being at, at the, and being alone. It's an astonishing book. It's hard to get these days. But um, anyway, I, I met Sol and she was about to do another book. Um, and uh, she was going firstly to be the photographer on the, uh, the National Geographic photographer on the ex expedition, uh, one of Australia's expeditions to the summit of Mount Everest, marking the anniversary of uh, Edmund Hillary or whatever, someone. And, um, and her second adventure was called Across the Top. And it was 5,000 kilometers across the top of the Himalaya, starting from the um, uh, way above the Hindu Kush, down through uh, Pakistan, through Kashmir, through India, across I don't know how many continents, but sometimes, for example, at the Pakistan border and the Kashmir border and India border, she had to uh, go down from the mountains, down to the city, and then go all the way back up to end up 10 metres further down the road because they wouldn't let her cross some bridge. Sorrel's an astonishing woman, and she lives on Norfolk Island now, and we're still mates. Um, she became a, um, a reporter on 60 Minutes, and, uh, and her work was always to do with the outback and Indigenous Australians, and she, of course she's a, a total expert on Nepal. And in the process of getting to know Sorrel, I actually took over their apartment when they went off on a trip, and it became mine. So we really did get close. In the process of all this, I got quite inspired. I thought, geez, that life that her, she lives is a life I would love to live. And uh, so I, I made up a plan, a vision. And I think it's appropriate about this stage of the vision quest that you're doing each night to, to hear this story. So I, I created a vision after talking to Sorrel. And I said, if she can do it, I can do it. Um, I went out and uh, firstly, she was a National Geographic photographer. So I went out and bought the best Nikon camera and the photo photographic equipment under her tutelage. And she said, yeah, that one's a good one. This one's a good one. These lenses you need. And I started practicing being a photographer. And then uh, the second part was, of course, I was going to have to walk in the Himalayas in order to gain the celebrity that National Geographic would want in order for me to be published there. So I did my research and I found there was an area in Nepal, the Mustang, um, um, the, a, a snow leopard territory. Uh, that's a great book, by the way, The Snow Leopard. And, um, and so I decided I was going to do a 30-day trek through uh, a very remote part of the Himalayas with one person, a, a, a guide slash porter, 
and take photographs, write a story and sell it to National Geographic. So I wrote to them and they said, uh, yeah, have a nice life. You're not a photographer and you're not a professional journalist. So uh, neither of those two things um, seemed to worry me, but, uh, but worried them and Sorrel was both of them. So she was a great photographer, um, a, a, a well-published uh, photographer, and also a person who was a, uh, a, an accomplished journalist. So not to be, uh, not to be uh, uh, defeated in this thing, because I'm a bloke and I've got an ego. So I said, yeah, well, it's still my vision. So I booked myself uh, an air ticket to New Zealand and went over there and hired a guide, a mountain guide who would teach me how to uh, survive in the Himalayas uh, by taking me up uh, mountains in, in New Zealand. So the first mountain we went to, uh, first thing I did was went to uh, the MacPac trekking shop, I think it was Christchurch, and I spent an absolute mint on my gear. I bought a purple tent, a purple um, uh, down jacket, a purple rain jacket, a purple backpack, I bought trekking shoes with purple socks. I bought purple um, uh, overpants. I, I bought trekking pants. I bought a purple sleeping bag with a purple uh, sleeping mat. I bought purple hat, a purple gloves, purple glasses. I, I bought a purple ice axe, a purple thing. And so I turn up at the base of Mount Aspiring in the South Island of New Zealand to meet for the first time a guy I'd booked from Sydney um, to be my mountain guide and he turns up, I turn up Mr. Purple, Perfect Purple uh, and he turned up in and he was a fully sponsored world renowned mountaineer uh, who went all over the world, full, fully sponsored by MacPack and he turned up in a Kmart uh, plastic top, uh, uh, some sort of a shopping bag that he strapped to his back and, um, and uh, 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 bits and pieces of trekking and camping gear that were, well, from the garden shed. So he basically uh, turned up because for him it was a, uh, his backyard, a Sunday stroll. So we were going out for three days and we're going to cross a very a narrow ridge um, between two mountains and it was a snow ridge and it's quite complicated and I would learn on this process of crossing this ridge how to deal with ice and snow and axes and falling and slipping and putting my life at risk. So. Off we went. What they don't tell you when they give you a brochure about mountaineering and what I learned on the first day of my naive experience is that uh, the first uh, five hours of climbing up something, it's not snow, it's mud. It's the sl slush that comes off the mountain in, in forms this goop. Uh, there's only one word for it and so we trudged through goop, we used rivers, we leeches, we did everything we had to do to, to scale uh, up the side of this slippery slope um, uh, with the, in a melting snow coming down and making it into slurry until we got to the snow line. By the time we got to the snow line, I was completely uh, destroyed. I, I, I ne I'd never been so morally and emotionally and physically and mentally destroyed my life. The slipping and the sliding and the fear and the boots and, and all my purple gear had gone purpley brown at this stage with the muddy black dark New Zealand uh, volcanic soil. 
And so uh, compassionately, this guy sort of helped me with my luggage and I've got this backpack and I've got cooking stoves and tents and all this stuff. And he's got his Kmart stuff on and I'm sweating under the weight of this enormously over-engineered uh, trekking uh, uh, system. And we start on the snow line. We only had to walk, I think, two hours on the snow to get to where we were going to camp overnight. By this stage, we've ascended probably, I don't know, I have no idea, we've ascended probably a thousand meters in altitude. And, uh, and I had acquired a dose of some mountain sickness or uh, altitude sickness or uh, even stomach sickness from eating too many nuts on the way up. They're probably purple nuts. Anyway, I pitched the purple tent, uh, got into my purple sleeping bag, cooked on the purple stove and I cooked something purple and I lay down in the bed and proceeded to vomit uh, purple all over the inside of the tent and my sleeping bag and myself. He was sleeping already outside. He dug himself a hole. He didn't want to sleep in the tent with me. It wasn't cold enough. So he dug himself a hole in the snow and covered himself up with his uh, plastic bag from Kmart, probably a, uh, a garbage bag, and was sound asleep. So I hooped and whooped, woke up in the morning to this beautiful sunrise and had to clean everything in the snow and uh, scrape vomit off my purple backpack and outside the inside of my purple tent and my purple sleeping bag and me. And uh, I stood up and he said, Okay, let's have brekkie. And he made brekkie and he said, that's where we're going over there. And I looked across to where we were going and I said, what, that two kilometre long razor sharp ridge with down one side of that ridge was a vertical drop of at least 2,000 uh, metres or 1,000 metres or whatever, a long way vertical drop. And on the other side was a s sort of semi-sloping piece of snow. And the idea was we were going to walk on the semi-sloping part, just a little bit down from the top. And the idea is that if you start to slip, you throw your um, ice axe over the other side of the slope uh, uh, into the vertical part. So it hooks on to something and it stops you sliding a thousand metres down the slippery slope we were walking on. And I, I, I said to him, w why? Why are we doing that? He goes, because in every trek, that's uh, in every... Himalayan walk, there are these a lot. And I said, well, that, that's no, no way. And so we went back. <laughs> I didn't even do it. I went back down to the car park, got in my car, and went to the trekking company. I said, this guy is terrible, terrible mountain guy. Took me to the wrong place. You know, he's not the right gear, and I'm really insulted. So I went to the hotel and I said, I want to go to Mount Cook next, and I want somebody else. But this time, I'm not going to go in the mud. Now, this is, you want to hear about a bloke's ego, this is really cool. I said, I'm not going to walk up through, you know, 10 kilometres or 10 hours of slop. I want a helicopter. <laughs> so, believe it or not, I hired a helicopter to take my new mountain guide and all my freshly washed and clean tent and everything, mountaineering gear, up Mount Cook to the base camp, which is only uh, one day away from the summit. And we got off the helicopter, we dropped all the gear on the ground, we did it all very professionally. 
the helicopter lifts off and left us in, in out in the exposed snow and there's wind blowing and it's and then uh, I, I pick up my backpack and I'm about to walk he goes no 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 you can't walk there like that you have to get your uh, ice stick the uh, ice axe and you have to put the backpack on and you have to rope each other together because the snow is covering the cracks and in the cracks the crevasses uh, those cracks are about a thousand meter down into the universe's belly between so he went ahead punching putting his axe firmly into to see if the snow would hold I went behind and the trick was if he went down a hole which was highly likely if he if he found one he'd go down a crevasse I had to turn and face the other way lie flat on my stomach put my ice axe in and get dragged towards the hole until I stopped and become the anchor that he was going to use to get out again well nobody tells you this in the bloody brochure all you see is people climbing up stuff it was a horrible and we were only I think 200 meters from the cabin and it it must have taken me an hour and a half to get 200 meters to the cabin because I was really 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 shit myself we get to the cabin and we get inside and we go okay we're going to spend the night here and then tomorrow we go up on Mount Cook and I say oh, okay so is the, and I'm really happy I'm inside a, a, one of these cabins that they build in in New Zealand for people who do trekking in the outdoors there's lots of them all around and they're beautiful little bunks and everyone keeps it beautifully clean and they're made of wood and it's all done all uh, environmentally correctly and about 20 meters from the cabin was the toilet and it's called a drop toilet which basically means they build this little shed for a bit of uh, inch wind cover they build this little shed about the size of an outdoor dunny and where there should be a a porcelain bowl with a water in the bottom and a place where you flush to go to send the bits and pieces to the uh, to the uh, poo god there's nothing <laughs> and if you look down the hole what you see is about uh, a again a thousand meters of sheer drop with this frequent poo stains where other people have dropped their belongings or poops down there and uh, deposited their things in the snow so the first time I went out there I had to you have to get your gear on because it's very cold and windy so you have to completely dress up you have to put your crampons on your feet because it's quite slippery out there and if you slip you're close to some dangerous places so you you get fully geared up as if you're going to climb to the top of Mount Everest gloves beanie boots thing and I walked the 20 meters clipped onto a, a rail rope uh, that is a safety rope all the way out to the toilet and I learned then in that uh, piece of the trek I learned then the the science of the what's called the body mind I was so frightened to walk to the toilet that my sphincter shut so tight <laughs> that I, there was no way I could poop out the hole and so although I was busting to release something down the hole I was so frightened in the brain that my bum uh, had gone uh, uh, watertight 
And so uh, what I would do then is I would sit there and then it's cold, so you have to pull your pants up and get everything go and put everything back on and all the gloves and the beanie and the goggles and, the, and, the, and, the, and clip onto the rope and walk all the way back just in time to get back to the cabin and go, oh, there it is again, it's coming. So you go all the way, put it all back on, all, all, the, all the way out. And this went on for me for three hours. I, know, I swear to God, this is the truth. Anyway, finally I had some success and I overcame my fear just by sheer necessity. And uh, so I learned all about body-mind, mind-body, mind-body. So we cooked uh, food in there out of our tins and made it all nice and, and then the wind started to blow harder and harder. And I looked out the thing and I looked at the toilet and looked. At, uh, I said to the guy, I don't want to go up. And he goes, oh, gee, yeah, look, it's really tough. Tomorrow we're going up but uh, I understand you don't want to go up. I said, no, I don't like it being up here. It's really not my thing. Can we get the helicopter to come back? He goes, well, this wind, there, there's no, they, they, they can't get a helicopter up here. We have to go down. And the only way down was back along that place where the helicopter dropped us and down a fairly steep uh, thing that I wouldn't ski down with snow skis and touching <laughs> all the way down again with the bloody ice picky thing. Uh, to make sure we don't fall down a hole with me walking behind, ready to jump flat on my face in reverse to stop this guy going down a crevasse. So the next day we went all the way down. We didn't even do any climbing. All we did is practice walking down a hill uh, with our crampons on our feet and uh, pumping the snow with the ice axe in a blizzarding wind where you couldn't even hear each other talk. So I got to the bottom of the mountain and I went, oh, well, that's me. I've prepared for, for uh, Nepal. Now I've prepared. I've done it. I've been up the mountain. I've prepared. And uh, then I had brought my bike with me to uh, New Zealand. And then I decided I'm going to do, uh, I'm going to ride my mountain bike around the South Island of New Zealand. So I got my, <laughs> I got my mountain bike out and it was raining. So I caught the bus um, up to uh, a little village where there's a camping ground, a pitch my tent, and I'm happy. I'm, I'm in New Zealand mountain biking after all these exciting adventures. And I pitched the tent and I, you know, packed it all up in the morning, put it all back on the mountain bike and started to ride. But what I'd done is I'd caught the bus to the base of a ridge of mountains that separate the east, the west coast from the centre of New Zealand. So it's a, 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 it's a very steep ridge uh, of mountains and so I got the bus to the bottom of that and I started riding and after about four hours I wore a hole in my uh, 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 ass next to the one that God gave me and it was a really big hole and then I had to walk the bike up this hill and uh, get to the thing and so halfway up this hill it was dark so the whole day had gone while I got up this hill and the whole day had gone and I Actually, what I decided to do out of desperation was to take all the backpacks off the bike, put them by the road, throw the bikes in the bushes and hitchhike. Uh, unfortunately, nobody picked me up because it was dark. And so I, I, in the end, had to walk the bike with all the bags on it up over the hill, ride down the other side in a freezing thing with a second hole in my ass. I think it was probably by this stage dripping blood or something. Arriving at the other side of uh, New Zealand, the, the, the west coast, um, uh, of course everything's closed, 1am, and having to uh, uh, bang the door down to get in a um, hostel. Anyway, it's still going. This is me preparing to go to, to, the, to uh, Nepal. 
When I got back to Australia, I thought I need to climb a mountain. I went to um, Indonesia and I climbed, um, uh, there's, an, I can't remember, it's, there's Bali and then the Lombok, I think it is Lombok, and there's Rinjani is on Lombok. And I climbed to the top. I got halfway up Rinjani and started to shit myself and I'm going, this is really frightening going up this mountain, Rinjani. It's <laughs> and then as I'm deciding whether I'm going to continue or not, some barefoot uh, local people who'd gone up the top to put some flowers as a ceremony were just walking down laughing and talking and not even looking at the trail. And I started to think that maybe I'm out of my depth here too. So I came back from um, uh, climbing up to the top of Rinjani and all my big gear and booked my ticket for Nepal, uh, not thwarted by any of this information so far. Get to Nepal, hire all the gear, tell everyone I'm Sorrel's friend. They all know Sorrel, so they're all really happy to see me. Hire a guide, fly to the mountain resort, uh, a, a, a village uh, a, on a light aeroplane that uh, dropped us off. I got a helicopter to drop food into, into the jungle about uh, 15 days into where we would be at, into a little place. And there we were, ready to start our trek. And we had to do three days of acclimatization, during which we, had, we couldn't walk more than 100 metres from our, our lodging, which was in a hut uh, that belonged to somebody, because the kids would come in and try to steal everything, anything, food, everything. So we, we couldn't go away. We, we had to keep a, a, a fixed eye on all our gear or take it with us. And so we did some acclimatization for three days. On the fourth day, we start. It's 3 a.m. We're going to walk in the early morning hours till sunrise. We walk. We walk for two hours. The sun rises, 5 a.m. It's magnificent. And I said, I look up and I said, what's all that? And he goes, that's the Himalayas. And I said, no, but what's all, what, what, why is it there? And he said, because that's where you're going. And I, I said, but it looks a lot like New Zealand. It looks like that ridgy thing and it looks like the snowy thing. And, and he goes, no, that, that is the mountain. That's the ridge we have to go over to get to where we're going to go to take you on your trip for 30 days. And uh, we are on this side. We have to climb over that thing. It takes about three days to get over. It's quite high. And I'm looking up and almost craning my neck to look up to see where the top of the ridge was to go over and I, I sat down on my backpack and I cried like a baby. I cried like, I really did, I cried like a baby and I just sat there and I realized I was living somebody else's dream. I was living Sorrel's life. I was emulating Sorrel. This wasn't me. And the reason I knew this was this. If I died crossing that ridge, would I feel okay about that? If I died out there with a backpack on, all purple, with my camera, with this guy, if I died, slipped off, or fell off a thing, would, would I be happy about it? Would I be, would, if, if, if my kids or people said, Chris Walker died climbing a mountain in Nepal, would I be happy with that as my... Uh, what I left behind? And the answer was categorically, bloody no way on earth. I didn't know what my purpose was. I didn't know what my life was. I didn't know what my vision was, but I knew what it wasn't. I didn't want to die doing that. We turned around, went back after three hours. 
arranged the aeroplane to come back, gave the food to some local people, went back to Kathmandu. I gave a lot of what we took to the guide and paid him full for the 30 days. I went to the hotel and I said, I, I'm, you know, and I'm trying to think what I can say to them. Like, I broke my ankle, I hurt my back, and I just said, no, it's, too, it's not, not for me. And I owned it. And the lodge owner, Mr. Pandey, uh, uh, who, again, a great friend of Sorrel, said to me, well, there's another trek you can do while you're here because you've got 30 days you've got to kill. Why don't you go up to Mount Everest Base Camp? So I went from there after a week. Uh, I, I packed a bag. I put it on the roof of a bus, spent 13 hours on the bus and got to Jury, walked up from Jury to um, Lukla, from Lukla to uh, Namche Bazaar, from Namche Bazaar to Mount Everest Base Camp, and I fell in love with it. I really, a, a little bit risky, but not any danger, really. A little bit altitude, I got altitude sickness and pleurisy, yeah, a little bit challenging, but nothing, uh, in my opinion, life-threatening. And I said to myself, if I died doing this and taking people here, to discover what I discovered, that you can put on my tombstone. Because it's worth it. it it's, a, it's a spiritual journey rather than a, an adventure uh, thing. And so I continued to do, and I went back six, I've been back 60 times. It's a really interesting thing that when you realize sometimes you're trying to live somebody else's expectation of you or your own expectation of yourself that isn't really authentic. And I think this discovery I made that I didn't want to die doing that, I've carried with me, and it, that's more than 30 years ago, I carried with me every single day since that if I go ocean swimming and I die doing that, well, and they put that on it, Chris Walker died ocean swimming, I'm not going to be impressed looking back from wherever I am, which is watching over your shoulder, my client, uh, I'm not going to be happy. If you say Chris Walker died doing a podcast on Bondi Beach or gathering material for a podcast on Bondi Beach or Chris Walker died writing a book, sitting, in his, his, his sitting on the beach and got run over by a truck, I'm going to go, okay. Or Chris Walker died going up to the mountains. I know my purpose. I know what I would be happy to die for. And when you go to work each day in your car, you, you are, as you know, uh, last year, twice last year, uh, people went through a tunnel near the airport in Sydney and somebody went down the wrong way, down the tunnel, and went headfirst into the other car, uh, one on the Harbour Bridge, another one the same, so two in the tunnel, one on the Harbour Bridge, and people going to work were, were dead. And those people, you would have to say, were they going to a job that they are happy to say, I died going to work to that job? Or would they say, I, I'm, I died going to earn money to pay for, for the provision of uh, a, a roof over the head of my children? I died doing something, did I die, what did I die doing? It, and is, is that okay? So the work might not be the objective. The money you earn from the work might be the objective to feed and house and clothe uh, children or your family or write a book. And this is really important stuff when you're doing a vision because you're asking the universe what you want me to do. 
And it will tell you clearly, as it told me when I went to uh, New Zealand and did the first hill, don't do that. But we fired. And as Seinfeld said, you know, anything in life that we need to put a helmet on, surely, surely we realise that human beings are not meant to do it. I hope you've enjoyed the story. A little long, uh, nice walk there. Have a beautiful day. Bye for now.